0: Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door. Having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome to our live podcast today. And I'm not kidding when we say live because we've got an audience. So, so, yeah, everybody do fake laugh. I'm holding up the laugh card. <laughs> that literally sounded fake. Okay, so I am here with a really good friend of mine, Shane Willard. And so, welcome, Shane.
1: Come on, it's good to be here. Really
0: good to have you. So, our live audience has sent in some of their most pressing questions to which I'm going to put them all Shane's way, (laughs) because honestly, incredible knowledge, amazing, uh, incredible Bible knowledge. I just love talking to Shane. So anyway, we're going to get started. But first of all, before we do, could you please tell us, Shane, a little bit about who you are and what you do for the people listening that perhaps don't know you? Sure.
1: So my name's Shane Willard. I've uh, traveled the world for 20 years, uh, speaking and doing continuing education for pastors and mental health professionals and uh, do a lot of speaking in churches and things like this, and so um, it's it's uh, I I've just been blessed to be able to to travel the world and help pastors build their churches or help mental health professionals yeah. um, with different concepts, and hopefully um, be a part of of someone's encouragement in their faith to continually uh, and resolutely say their next yes every single day.
0: So you actually have a degree in psychology. Are you? Mm-hmm. a... Yeah. So tell us. So I have two.
1: I have two theology degrees, um, and then I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. And so, um, and th- this is going to sound like I'm making a joke, but um, I have a, I have a, my master's degree is actually in sex. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so 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 I'm a theoretical expert, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, th- so theory. <laughs> In theory, I'm the best. In, in practice, pretty much crap. But in theory, yeah. uh, and, so, and so the reason for that is is that where I got my clinical psychology master's degree, you had to choose one of three paths. Yes. And so you had to choose psychopathology, you had to choose addictions, and then you or you had to choose marriage and sexuality. And so I chose that because my purpose for getting the degree was I didn't want to be a practicing psychologist. I wanted more helping tools to help me pastor. And um, and you know ninety percent of church counseling is is not psychopathology and it's normally not um, addictions but it is marriage and sexuality. But the the way it worked is you had to do your general training on everything, and I still had to do five hundred supervised hours of psychopathology, five hundred supervised hours of addictions, and then two thousand supervised hours of marriage and sex. And so that's sort of that was just part of my so two thousand you know, hours of sex. Yeah, two thousand. <laughs> yes. <2000, laughs> Yeah, it's a long time. That's a, that's a, that's a lot. No, that's, that's amazing how long that would take. But the, uh, but, but the uh, yeah. So that, so it was it was strange because when when you're being supervised, there's a you have a client and or clients, and you know they have a mirror there that has a yep. camera, and they all consent to, and then they just they just pick. You know, y- you might have done, however many, a hundred clients, and then they'll pick one at random. You don't get to choose which one. They'd pick one and then they'd sit down with you and a supervisor would give you feedback on how to be a better psychologist. So wow. they went through all that too.
0: Well, there is a number where you... Because we've got two sessions. So if you guys really want to put in a, a question about sex, Shane will answer. <laughs> well, There's can, still time. We can talk about all right, it. But let's, uh, maybe let's change tactic. Yeah. Uh, being a psychologist, mm-hmm. let's talk about the number one probably hot topic right now, uh, mental health and mm-hmm. the rise of anxiety.
1: Yeah, so... Well, I, of course, there's a rise of anxiety. Like, look, um, what's, what's phenomenal about it is that, um, is, is that there was two lies exposed. So lie number one is if you just had more resources, you'd have less anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and that makes sense. I mean, like, you would think if someone had more resources, they'd have less anxiety. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's not true. Um, this is the richest generation by far. According to Forbes magazine, the generation turning 19 today has more money available to them by the age of 19 than the previous four generations before combined. So we don't have a resourcing problem. Um, my, as far as I know, my grandparents never ate out in their life. Yeah. And it's not because they didn't enjoy other people cooking them food. It's because they couldn't afford that. Um, the generation now can go spend $10 a day on coffee, right? Yeah. My grandparents were like, What? Um, so so the, the lie number one is that the, the more you're resourced, the less anxious you'll be. That's not true. The other lie is, is that the more information you have, the less anxious you'll be. Like if you just knew things, um, you'd be less anxious. But that's not true either. Um, we have more information on the palm of our hands that, that, that was in any library just 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's right there. So this generation has... More information than ever before, and more resourcing than ever before, but they're experiencing and reporting more anxiety than ever before, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, that's that's almost unbelievable. It makes us ask the question, why? Yep. And and there's there's a complex there's complexity to it. But and the truth of it is, is that if someone's struggling with mental health, they should seek help seriously. Like yeah. Y- yeah. we sh- we take that seriously here. Um, but at the same time, um, look, I'll just make two. Pretty broad statements. If you regularly engage in things that is outside of your expertise to engage, and you regularly carry the weight of people's response to your engagement in those things, you're going to be anxious. Like you are regularly taking on things that is not within your metron to take on, and you're regularly carrying the weight of someone's response to you taking those things on. I mean, we're talking about you ask a sixteen year old, what are you anxious about? I'm anxious about how many likes I got on this post. Yeah. Well so you're first of all you're 16 you don't know much anyway S- second of all you're passing your opinion that is on something that's infinitely more complex than you're making it then third you're carrying the weight of how people respond to somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about anyway like of course there's going to be anxiety and so and so part of it is that the other part of it is. Um, in, in philosophy, there's two things. There's something called the object desire, and then there's something called the object cause. So to make it very simple, object desire is that which I want. So, uh, so that bottle of water there, if I say I want the water, that's the object desire. The object cause is that which stands in the way of what I want. So the distance, can I reach it? Or you might might say, don't grab the water. Then you would be the object cause. So if a kid wants, say, to eat all the chocolates, well, then the chocolates are the object desire. The object cause would probably be the mother going, you can't eat all the chocolates. Or to use an adult example, if someone wants a new truck, well, the new truck's the object desire. The object cause is the cost of the new truck. It's all the sacrificing you have to do to be able to afford the truck or the house or the whatever you're wanting to. And what... In psychology, all perceived meaning is derived from the struggle to get there than it is from getting there. So if you finally get the car that you want, the meaning is not derived by sitting in the car. The meaning is derived by remembering all the sacrifices you had to make to get the car. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you, if you take that, yeah. right, and you remove, because of superabundance, yes. you remove all delayed gratification. So you remove all object costs. I mean, I mean, look, um, this Sunday in church, there will likely be an 8-year-old who will have an $800 phone in their possession. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> what did they do to earn that? Yeah. Nothing. So the perceived value of it and the perceived meaning in it is gone. Mm-hmm. So wow. they, actually, they actually have named yeah. this. It's called um, uh, helicopter mommy. So these are moms that hover so that their kids never experience pain or failure. Wow, moms! I know moms who do the kids' homework for them so that they get A's. Yes, and then wonder why the A doesn't have any meaning. Yeah, Mm. because the kid is—it's not that the kid's life is less meaningful; Mm. it's they interpret it as less meaningful when there's no cause Mm to 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 attach the meaning to. So when we remove, they actually called it lawnmower momming, where they, these moms, they mow down all the obstacles in, in, in front of the kid. And, um, and, so, and so sometimes what people are reporting as anxiety yeah. is actually, I'm not getting what I want right now, and that makes me anxious. Right. Because we've never, we've lost the art of interpreting meaning through the struggle to get there yes. and delayed gratification. Yeah right so so the uh, to, to use a marriage example the best marriage in the world is not someone who says we've been together 30 years i know everything about them the best marriage in the world is we've been together 30 years i don't have a flipping clue but i'm loving every minute of discovering it yeah right so as soon as we remove object cause and focus on the object desire you're going to get some version of hell yeah right so uh, uh, even the twilight zone nailed this right so mm-hmm. um so in 1937, there was an episode of The Twilight Zone um, that about a guy named Robert Valentine. So Robert Valentine was this wicked man, and he dies in an accident, and he wakes up in the afterlife, and he's oblivious to the fact he's in the afterlife. He doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this angel there named Pip, and Pip says, hi, I'm Pip. Um, I'm here to show you around the afterlife. And of course, Robert Valentine's this wicked criminal, and so he goes to rob Pip. Says, Give me all your money. And Pip's like, oh, you can have all my money. There's infinite money here. Yeah. What do you take all you want and um and he goes so valentine's really confused and pip says oh i'll take you to your house and it was this mansion right and he goes is this your house Pip?" but not yours oh and by the way in that drawer is three million u.s dollars right which in 1937 was yeah, infinite and um and says, what do you want to do you know robert valentine says ah oh, i want to go to the afterlife casino is there an afterlife casino and is oh, course anything you want here so they go to the Afterlife Casino and Robert Valentine takes all three million, doesn't even take a safety net, puts it on one hand of blackjack, and he wins six, 12, and he's not even setting his it's just how he lived, you know? Yeah. 24, four, he can't lose. He's un, he, is losing, he, he is losing his mind with excitement, like, I can't, this is the best ever. But then it fast forwards six weeks later and he's pulling his hair out from boredom. Right. He's like, oh, because because there's no process, there's no object cause, there's no there's nothing to get up and and and, and struggle for. And there's no perceived meaning. So he says to Pip, he says, make it stop, man. Let me remind you, I was a wicked man on the earth. What did I do to deserve heaven? And Pip says, heaven, who told you this is heaven? This is hell. And it right. says, so Robert Valentine was condemned by God to an eternity of getting everything he always wanted. Yep. Right? Wow. So, uh, which is true. They, yeah. like, so if you create a scenario, this is the problem with how some Christians frame heaven. They tell people, heaven's a place you get everything you want all the time.
0: Yeah, that would,
1: that would be hell. Yeah. So, because once you remove the object cause, from the object desire, you have less perceived meaning. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason, it's not the whole reason, there's, there's, it's complex. There's chemical reasons you can feel anxiety, agitation. There's, there's environmental reasons. There's toxins and food. There's, yes. there's, uh, there's social factors like your family of origin and, and what's going on there. It is not a one-size cookie, and you need to process this with a pro. Mm-hmm. But sometimes what people are reporting as anxiety is I'm not getting my object desire quick enough. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And and we've lost the ability uh, to perceive meaning from the object cause. And once you do that, you've created your own version of hell.
0: So as a society, we are throwing so much resource, right, at this current generation. But that obviously is not going to work. What can we do? If I'm someone right now and I'm listening to this podcast and I've got anxiety for whatever reason, what strategies, what can we do now with this generation that are suffering the highest amount we've right. ever seen.
1: Right, well, I think, first of all, we have to admit that here's what we've done. We've put a ladder up against a wall, right? And we've climbed the rung of this ladder, right? And, and at the top of this ladder is a world where we get what we want. And then we got to the top of that. I mean, truly, if you're 23 years old and have good health, what can't you do? Mm. Like, if you're a woman, 23 years old, and you're a woman and you're in good health you live in a world where there's literally nothing that would hold you back from pursuing whatever you want to pursue that wasn't true in 1970 or 19 so so we've, we we we've, we we've put this ladder up against a wall and we've climbed the rung of it and we got to this world where we get everything we always want and we realize the ladder's against the wrong wall <laughs> the lat we, we've climbed the right ladder on the wrong wall and so I think what we have to do is admit we've been asking the wrong questions. The questions of how can I get more? Mm-hmm. Um, how, can I, how can I be promoted more? Yeah. That it doesn't deliver what it promises. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first thing is taking responsibility and not blaming. Is saying to the level we blame is the level we disempower ourselves. So we go, well, um, I, I need to take responsibility that I've been climbing the right ladder on the wrong wall. Yeah. And I need to go back to how Jesus saw the world. And Jesus says something that, it was profound. He says that there is a seed of truth or the word of God or whatever, however you want to picture it. And when that seed comes into our experience, it lands on four different kinds of soil. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we all want to be good soil, but no one's good soil in every topic, right? But the one to me that was the most convicting is the, is the, the thorny soil because what he says is that the thorny soil is good soil. It receives the word. It's it's not rebellious, it's not resistant. It's no, give me everything God has for me. But then right underneath the surface, thorns choke it out. And he says the thorns are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Mm-hmm. And I think step 1 is we need to be honest about where we have thought that more money and more promotion would deliver something that it obviously won't deliver. Okay. And that's called repentance. Yeah. But the second thing is, is is to to ask questions like, is there any place that, um, that I'm chasing the next sacred object? Sacred objects are anything outside of us that we think will make us feel less lack. And even if it's a good thing, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to have more money. I do. Being better resources... Being a better resource helps you be a blessing to others. Absolutely. I want you to have more money. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Like, like, I, like if you want to be married, I want you to be married. A good spouse is a great thing to have. Um, now, if you marry poorly, you'll pray for a comment to come to earth to bring you sweet relief. But <laughs> But if you... But, it, but a good spouse is a great thing to have. But if you're not enough without them, you'll never be enough with them. There's no yeah. such thing as a happy marriage that was forged between two miserable single people. Yeah. You know, oh, we hated our life, and then we got married It fixed it all. That doesn't work. And so, and so we need to repent from our pursuits of the sacred objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and because in Hebrew, the word, uh, uh, the deceitfulness of wealth is a failure to be now. Mm. It's like, if you're not enough right now with what you have, getting more is not going to make you more enough. Uh, the worries of this life in Hebrew is a failure to be here, which is where I wanted to go with this, because words don't matter. How we picture words working matters. So so somebody might say, I don't have an anxiety problem because they picture anxiety as this internal angst of worry. In, in, the, in the scripture, the word anxiety is merim na'o, which is anytime you're not here. Right. So... Well so you're you're, your it means to be split apart or figuratively i'm going to pieces Mm -hmm. well what that means is is that and and we're in a live audience right now it would be statistically improbable that there's not at least one of them that's here but they're actually there yeah right if i'm here but in myself i'm actually there that's anxiety so i'm here with you and I'm not getting everything God has for me in this moment because in my heart or in my mind or in my imagination, I'm somewhere else. And then when I'm finally somewhere else, I regret the fact that I didn't get yes. everything out of this. Yeah. That's anxiety. And so anxiety, fighting anxiety doesn't work. What does work is being disciplined about being fully present. That's great. Right? Wow. So what, what happens yeah, is is get, we get addicted to something called context switches. So context switches is... Uh, like your Facebook newsfeed, mm-hmm. you just go scroll, scroll, right? Four seconds, five seconds, and it's done horrible things to us. We now have less of an yeah. attention span than a goldfish, yeah. right? It's and that's literal. Like, yeah. like a goldfish can pay attention for nine seconds, we can only pay attention for eight, right? So, so we get addicted to context switches, and then people make billions off TikTok, which is videos that only last seven seconds, right? And you go. What have, what have we done? We wonder why we can't be here. Wow. Um, and so it's um, one of the things to do is to repent of our need for sacred objects mm. and, and to call it what it is. My pursuit of outside things that I promised, that promise me will bring less lack have never delivered what they promise. And can I discipline myself to breathe and just be fully present right here with you?
0: Right.
1: There's something in this holy moment that God has for all of us to develop and if I'm somewhere else I'm going to miss mm-hmm. it and then when I'm when I'm finally where I was in my head I'll regret what I missed in here right and and we don't you don't need to live that way yeah. that's great
0: wow. so the world has taken right. that Hebrew principle they'd call it mindfulness my, yeah mindfulness right. is is,
1: is the, the church has this horrible habit of of bucking against anything that's a different word from the yeah. word they've used but if you look at the function of that word yeah. that's a very christian right. Uh, spirit, like, like, give no thought. This is Jesus Christ. Give no thought to tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worries on its own. Mindfulness. It's, it's be fully present. Jesus' invitation to his followers was a profound trust in God that allows us the grace to be fully present without worrying about things outside of our control. Yeah. And, you, and, and what, what you see is, I feel like I'm dominating this conversation. No, no because I want to hear from okay. you. <laughs> um, what you see is, and this is a tragedy, is followers of Jesus absolving themselves from what Jesus... This is one thing I appreciate about Jesus so much, one thing, one of the things, is he never let his followers scapegoat big problems that they can't do anything about at the expense of dealing with their own stuff, mm. right? Like... The Roman Empire was full of debauchery and terror and immorality and horror and... Like, it, it was just unbelievable. In, in, in first century Galilee, it was not illegal for a Roman soldier to rape any woman in Galilee because they were class 8 peasants. Yeah. And there was no cops. There was no... Yeah. You know, somebody the other day told me with a straight face, I think this is the worst time to ever be alive. Oh, what? Yeah. This yeah, world's yeah, just yeah. getting worse and worse and worse. Compared to what? Yes. Um, and, and, and Jesus... Jesus is sitting there with his followers, and he goes...
0: Not sure what that noise is.
1: That would be a fire alarm. That would be. Shut the door. Shut the door.
0: We can cut this part out. Yeah. It's not at the candle? No. Is that the alarm? Like, as in not the fire alarm, but the alarm alarm. Huh? Okay.
1: Um... Should we continue or just wait for <laughs> that to Pause for a sec, I think.
0: Maybe wait for a sec.
1: Alicia, do you have the code? It's a Bluetooth lock, I think, yeah. It's a Bluetooth lock, so I'll figure it out.
0: There we go. Okay. All right. So All right. Can we keep the, the door shut?
1: shut? Okay, so, so one of the things I really appreciate about Jesus is in the middle of all this debauchery and horror, like whatever the worst thing going on in Brisbane right now, it's Nickelodeon compared to the Roman Empire. Yes. And Jesus would sit with his followers and go, how's your lust? Yeah. How's your anger? Mm. How do you think about your power and resources? Are you using your power and resources to serve, uplift, and release the people around you? Or are you using your power and resources to hold them down and make them serve you? Mm. These are profound questions. And Jesus' disciples could have easily went, well, at least we're not like them. Mm. And he never let them do that. He ne- and this is what you see on the internet all the time. A Christian ranting on Facebook about something that is not within their power to fix or do anything about it, and probably not even that they know anything about it. Yeah. And what, what you see a lot is there's a catharsis with people they feel better in their own conscience because at least I said something on Facebook. These are those memes if you're not ashamed of Jesus, share this on your walls. You know? <laughs> and it's like uh, 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 uh. <laughs> why is 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 lifting up Jesus's name? Like we would all say we exist to lift the name of Jesus up, right? Mm-hmm. Is lifting Jesus's name up a function of announcement or demonstration? Mm. Oh, well, wow. oh, I love the world yes. is sick of people who say they love Jesus, but when you look at their life, they don't love anything else.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: So people separate their love for Christ from their, how they treat their fellow man. Uh-uh. Jesus just wouldn't, Jesus, I, I, know, I know there's a big thing going on over there, but how's your anger problem? Right. Are you bringing hell to your world or are you yeah. bringing heaven to your world? Yeah. And uh, Jesus, Jesus, it, it, I mean, imagine how much less anxiety we'd have. Right. If we quit ranting about things that we can't do anything about mm-hmm. and taking responsibility of people's response to our rant and just started waking up every day, mm-hmm. being fully present and meeting the needs right in front of us that are within our Very power to good, meet. Yep. So
0: good. Very good.
1: Anxiety would go... Mm.
0: Brilliant. Mm. Brilliant. Can we turn turn things around a little bit? Let's talk about uh, some research I came across recently okay. by Barna, a couple years ago. And I want to know your thoughts on it, that only 17% of Christians who consider faith important and attend church regularly actually have a biblical worldview what do you think about that?
1: I would hope it would be lower
0: Okay that's not the answer I was expecting why
1: Because I want to be, I want to be fair to people because if I w- I would want I would want people to give me the benefit of the doubt so I want to give them the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. here's what I think they're trying to say what i think people are trying to say is is that the way jesus applied the bible is my final authority right i think that's what they're trying to say because there was a movement that was started by christ that centered around applying the bible by fulfilling it by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you instead of being right about singular verses i think good hearted people and i want to give them the i want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt if you if if you took a bible mm-hmm. and said this book this book is my final authority for all matters of faith and practice let's not without trying there's four of us at this table i can name 20 things about all of us including myself that aren't biblical none of us right now are wearing tassels on the corners of our garments all of us are wearing shirts of mixed cloth uh, we don't have any trouble shaving the sides of our face. Um, I'll just do a quick poll of the room and the table. Would any of you put your neighbor to death if you caught him working on Saturday? No, you wouldn't. Okay, great. Would any of you would would, would any of you would, would any of you kill someone if they committed adultery? No, nobody. Great. Um, if uh, if if a woman punched a man in the nuts, um, <laughs> would you chop her hand off with no mercy? That's Deuteronomy twenty-five verse ten, by the way. Um, no, no you, probably, you, pro- you probably would not. Um, would any, in Deuteronomy 23, it says, no eunuch will ever be welcomed by God. So if someone showed up to church Sunday and said, I just need to tell you, I've, I've had testicular cancer and everything's been removed, would we dismiss them from church because there's a Bible verse? No, you would not. Um, Deuteronomy 23, verse four says, no Moabite will ever be welcomed by God. And so, so, so somebody said, look, if you check my blood, I might be a little bit Moabite. Would we throw them out, right? So w- what people are trying to say is, is the way Jesus applied scripture is our final authority. And that's absolutely true. That's what it means to be a Christian. But the word biblical, I think people are resisting that word. Mm -hmm. Because if you tell a 22-year-old, I'm biblical, and they go Google crazy things in the Bible, and then they come back to you and go, so would you... Would you beat a slave for laziness as long as it takes him more than a day to die? That's Exodus 21. Or would you cut a woman's hand off for chop for punching a man in the crotch? Or 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 would you put your neighbor to death for working on Saturday? Well, no, no, no. And it just reveals this hypocrisy, like, then you're not biblical. And I think I think Christianity can do itself a favor by saying, all you gotta do is change it, is change the imagery a bit, because the word matters less than how the imagery it creates. Mm-hmm. Is hey, in, in Christ, the way Jesus applied the Bible is our final authority. Because the way Jesus applied the Bible is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, came, they came to him once with a lady in adultery, and they said, we have a verse that says stoner. And he said, yeah, but the God I fully and finally revealed loved people more than the rules. Yeah. I know you found a rule, but the God revealed in Christ loves people more than the rules and yeah. has called us to fulfill Scripture instead of being right about the one verse, so he yeah. wouldn't stone her. Yeah. He fulfilled Scripture. And I, and I think that's beautiful. You have this beautiful encounter between an Ethiopian foreigner eunuch and a Christ follower named Philip in Acts 8. And in Deuteronomy 23, it says, no eunuchs will ever be welcomed by God. And so the eunuch says, can you think of a reason I can't be a part of what Jesus is up to? And, and Philip's like, you know, I can. Mm-hmm. There's this verse. Um, but but Christians aren't called to be right about singular verses. Christians are called to apply the scripture how Jesus applied it, which started a movement yeah. that changed the world. Yeah. And, um, and what
0: if only 17% of people are doing that
1: right it would be a better place wouldn't it
0: right so let's talk about that how could we get more people living like that
1: well i think i i I think if because the way I, i was trying to pay attention they they surveyed people of faith who identify as christians i i would say that here's a good test of faith a good test of faith is if the whole world converted to how you're thinking would the world be better So if we started praying, Lord, let everybody come to Christ as we did. Okay, but if the whole world started thinking about things the way we think about things, would the world be better? And I would say, I would say in some cases, um, it wouldn't. But if the church came back to this beautiful way that Jesus saw the world, the way Jesus saw God, and the way Jesus applied scripture, the world would definitely be a better place. Can you imagine a world where your first consideration in conflict is, how would I want to be treated if I were you? Just take that one thing. The world would be better. Yeah. Um, What if, what if the whole world came back to how Jesus saw God? Um, Jesus saw God as non-existent. Right? So... Which is critical. Mm. Like, and again, I'm not mad at people. If somebody says, God exists, I'm not mad at them. What they're trying to say is God is real. Mm. That's what they're trying to say. But they're using the word existent. Mm. But the Jesus, the Jesus that we follow, he he didn't see God as existent. Mm -hmm. Because for something to exist, it has to be an object outside of you. So this microphone exists, and it makes life easy for us, right? But that's not God. Um, that was every god in the Roman Empire. Existent temples, existent objects, existent rituals, existent things outside. So, so every god in the Roman Empire was, you go to their temple, their image, their god, do their thing, and that god might act on your behalf. That's not the god Jesus revealed. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the Christians in the first century were killed by the Roman emperor Trajan, and the official, the official charge was atheism. The reason is, is because the Roman governors would say, where does your God exist? And they would say, our God doesn't exist. Where's his temple? Where's his image? Oh, no, no, no. Our God insists. Our God indwells. There's one God. It's called the ground of being, the risen Christ, holding the whole thing together. And that changed the world because in a world where there was a nine-layered class system and class ones were better than class nines, well, an existent God can do that can choose men over women, can choose whites over blacks, can choose rich over poor. An existent God sitting above the story can do that. But an indwelling spirit holding the whole thing together? You can't treat women worse than men. You can't treat blacks worse than whites. You can't treat the poor worse than the rich because there's one God, one Christ, one spirit holding the whole thing together. And that idea changed the world for the better. I mean, for the massive better. And I would say that Christianity would do better Really well to go back to that because that would mean whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, whether you're Labor or Liberal, whether you're God is holding you together and you're worth dignity, and we can then start to separate people from ideas. We can call someone's idea poor without hating them. So good, good. it would just make the world better.
0: Yeah, have we got time for one more question? All right, choose your own adventure on this one, Shane. Pick one (laughs) out of either talking about the Hebrew culture around the word Shalom, yeah, or Is there a version of astrology that we can follow as Christians, or is it demonic? Which one do you want to do, astrology Uh, or shalom?
1: Uh, Let's do shalom. Either, I mean, I don't. Dichotomous questions aren't great questions. Like, is it this or that? Um, Normally, things are more. the, The truth of it is, is for for a Christ follower. We are endeavoring to see the world how Jesus saw the world, see God how Jesus saw God, and apply Scripture the way Jesus applied Scripture. And so what I wouldn't want to do is scapegoat astrology at the altar of people not dealing with the deficit between the way they're seeing their neighbor and the way they see their life and the way they see God in the way Jesus does. Um, So let's talk about Shalom. (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, so shalom peace yeah. um, such a big word mm. words matter less than how we picture words functioning right so all you got to do to a word is, attack, is attach an image to it and it mm-hmm. changes things so I'll give you an example the word judge right so one day you'll stand in front of Jesus and he'll judge you mm. that's true unless you're picturing a court official judge um yeah in hebrew the word judge is a defender somebody anointed by god to set you free and you already knew that because there's a whole book in the bible called the book of judges these people aren't courtroom officials they're people anointed by god to set us free and so when i say you'll stand in front of jesus and he'll judge you what i mean is one day you'll be in the finally in the full presence of the one anointed by god to set you free um and that's much more beautiful than this in out us them you know here's your whole life on a giant movie screen um those sorts of images So shalom, sometimes we take, we say peace as the absence of conflict. Um, But in Hebrew, it's bigger than that. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the presence of wholeness without one missing piece. Peace, shalom, is, is not the absence of conflict between me and you. Shalom runs through our whole community in a way that everyone intentionally acts in your best interest. And shalom is a relational word. Not just between us and God, but between us and each other. Mm. And if the world came back to that kind of faith, the world would be better.
0: That sounds like a really good antidote to anxiety.
1: Oh yeah, living for other people.
0: <laughs> Which is where we started.
1: Yeah, what living fully present, end. intent on meeting the needs of others mm. is a great antidote for depression mm. and anxiety. Mm.
0: Which is why they practice it every every week. They have shalom. Yeah.
1: We should do that at public. Well, well, think about how important it was to Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you're leaving your offering at the altar and there, remember, there's something between your brother and sister. Yeah. First, go and reconcile with them, Mm -hmm. and then come back and worship. In other Mm -hmm. words, to Jesus, what good is your singing, giving, praising, if all the while the world sees us in conflict? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, If the world sees our interactions. May the Christ that holds us all together be glorified more than we need to be right about our preference.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, Shane, thank you so much for joining us. Um, This is part one. We've got a part two. Different audience, though, unless you're trying to do a sneaky and come back. (laughs) But guys, can we please say a huge thank you to Pastor Shane Miller? It's really good. Great. Thank you. Great. All right. Well, we'll see you guys on the next episode.